0: This episode is part two of the amazing conversation I've been having with Professor Rachel Lofthouse. If you haven't listened to the first part, I strongly suggest you go back to the last episode and start there. But if you have, you're gonna love what we get up to in this episode. Hey everyone, it's Shane Leaning. Welcome back to Global Ed Leaders, a podcast about education across countries and cultures. I'm an organizational coach, and in this show, I learn with the teachers, leaders, and innovators making a difference around the world. Now, as mentioned, my guest today is Rachel Lofthouse, and we started this conversation in the last episode talking about coaching in education. We talked a lot about the challenges of coaching, especially this new trend, which is instructional coaching in schools, and we talked a little bit about the potential misuse of coaching as a bit of a quick fix in schools. We also looked into the principles of effective coaching. In this episode, we get a little bit more practical, and we kicked off by talking about what Rachel calls the two potential fads that are in education at the minute. Let's jump in.
1: We've got two fads, if you like, um, and they've both got validity, but we've got, for example, all of the furniture, if you like, around cognitive science in education. That's absolutely... um, central to a lot of people's understanding currently about what makes good teaching learning or what may, might make that difference yes we weren't doing we weren't aware of it before or we weren't well enough aware of it before we have all this insight gained from the cognitive science kind of crew if we could just implement that that'll that'll boost everything it'll boost mm. attendance it'll boost outcomes it'll boost behavior you know and there's a kind of a jumping on a bandwagon but with reason, because it, it, it's it's an, it's a body of knowledge that wasn't easily accessible to, to the majority of people in education before. And some of it, of course, seems very common sense because it align, aligns with kind of what we know about effective teaching and learning and what we know about children and development. And some of it seems a bit more uh, of a stretch and therefore there's something to learn, something to develop. But just because we've got that particular thing on the rise, and also the work of instructional coaching appears to have spread more widely, doesn't mean the two go together. Two fads don't make a right. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. They're not wrong, but two fads don't make it right, just because you've wedded them into one space. That's not to say that if you're working as a coach with a teacher, and the thing that you and they identify together that might start to make a difference is a a practice based on cognitive science, that that shouldn't be the focus for what you're doing. But it's unlikely to be a necessary focus for coaching on a wide scale because it's unlikely to be coaching if what you're doing is trying to implement practices associated with a new emerging and articulated body of knowledge on mass and at scale. And I think the key thing here is that coaching is, a, is really an inside-out process. It starts from the inside. It starts with, if we're talking about teacher coaching, it ta- starts with that teacher, their understanding, their work, their context, their classes, their curriculum, the things that challenge them, the things that they um, already use well, because those are going to be the, you know, the areas for they are continuing to be the areas of development. If you can do something well, then really hone that talent. Really make that work to the very best of your ability. Don't kind of ignore it or deliberately sideline it because somebody's come along to say, well, this seems to be the thing that will get you a 0.5 additional score, regardless of who you are. I mean, that's probably not very good science in all of that. So the inside out process is essential. It's, it's something which is led by the coachee and scaffolded by the coach. And just to give you a contrasting example, because I think we can get, again, we can get confused. I am very happy for coaching to be a method that supports the development of pedagogic um, enhancement in a school or across schools. I'll give you an example. So a few years ago, I was um, charged with evaluating um, a Department for Education school improvement project. The School Improvement Project actually went across 10 schools, that's what the funding was for. They worked in partnership around a common cause or a common purpose, and it was, a, if you like, it had to be something which the, that the DfE would acknowledge as school improvement. So one of the metrics that the DfE uses around how good schools are is what uh, results the school pupils get in the core subjects, maths, science, English. So this metric happened to be maths. Could this group of schools enhance the outcome in mathematics for its learners? The reason why there was some wriggle room there, if you like, is because in this group of schools, the average maths outcome attainment was lower than the national average. So the question was, what can we do to bring ourselves up the scale, which would demonstrate a dimension of school improvement? Well, we could look at maths outcomes. The other hook for this was the uh, the, the um, Education Endowment Foundation's teacher toolkit, which said, and it's not the only source that says this, that if you could approach teaching mathematics with um, more metacognition in mind, so a teaching thinking skills approach, we might have called it in the old days, but more metacognitive uh, principles embedded in your practice as a teacher then your learners could become more metacognitive and their mathematics should their outcomes should enhance you know there is evidence to suggest that's the case so what happened long winded story here is that they got the funding from the DfE the 10 schools were working collaboratively they appointed some lead practitioners that were in addition to their existing staff the lead practitioners had the responsibility of working with teachers around first of all maths teaching And then using metacognitive practices to enhance maths teaching and hopefully maths learning. And what they decided to do, having scanned out, if you like, scoped out the situation for a half term, getting the lie of the land in the schools, reading, talking with each other as lead practitioners about what might be the strategy we use here that really helps individual teachers at first enhance their practice so that they become, if you like, beacons of that practice in those schools they adopted a coaching approach and they went and they worked with those teachers and it was pretty sustained, pretty intensive for, for sort of a six or seven week block, repeated four or five or six times over the course of a couple of, of years. They would work on a weekly basis with one teacher and that teacher's class using an approach which could definitely be t- be defined as coaching. Now, every teacher was working within this kind of umbrella um, ambition, if you like, of it's the maths we're working on, it's the metacognition in maths we're working on. But every teacher had a unique class in a unique school. They had a unique working relationship with their coach. They were working in a way that was nuanced to them. The coaches were coming together on a half termly basis to share insights, uh, to kind of plan out well, what might we learn from each other that we can then. Take into our own work with our, our, own, our own teachers in the next phase. It was definitely coaching. It was definitely, if you like, around this particular brief. But what it wasn't was a schedule of we need everybody working in this set of ways with these routines, because that's what we've, if you like, uh, reducted the knowledge we have on metacognition down into to make it into uh, accessible, bite sized, manageable chunks. That never happened
0: that's a powerful example of how you can pursue um, a common goal, but with, with a coaching approach. And is that what you're concerned at the minute that is not happening with things being labeled as coaching at the minute? Do you fear that it's on the other side, but you feel it's not teacher centered enough?
1: What we seem to have got obsessed with is the, almost like the curriculum for teaching. So there are, um, and, and we've, I say we in a very lazy fashion. Um, Again, it's all to do with efficiency and it's to do with scale. It's to to do with good intent with this notion of evidence-informed or evidence-based practice. So we have this evidence, you know, around which types of teaching strategies might make a difference. We've reduced those down into a, uh, if you like, a, um, a set of practices that, again, we can reduce down to a set of checklists. And then we're deciding that coaching, Might be the way to bring people all up to speed, to get practice which aligns with those principles, uh, which converges, if you like, on those principles. Yes. It might be, but I'm just not sure that's coaching. It it might work, but I don't I don't actually believe that's coaching.
0: That's that. This is so fascinating to me, Rachel, because this is something you run organization called Collective Ed, which I'm honoured to be a fellow of your organization, which is leading in the conversation in coaching and mentoring and there's this expansion of what's being labeled as coaching which you actually said earlier almost feels like a fad <laughs> um, which is really it's really fascinating language because i think it is got those hallmarks of a fad in that everyone's jumping on it and everyone wants quick impact the amount of leaders i've talked to in international schools across the world who are saying saying we just need to well you know we need to implement instructional coaching and you know it hasn't taken much when i've discussed with them to say well why for them to go well that's because it's effective that that's the reason um and which i think is leading school leaders to find the simplest solution the simplest offer out there that lets them to tick the box and get instructional coaching going in their schools which uh, which i know many have raised concern
1: well i, I mean i think it's just Just that sentence, it it tells us everything we need to know. Done well, coaching isn't simple. Exactly. And that's not to say that it's hugely complicated, but it is something which you have to invest time in. You have to acknowledge that a coach will only be as good as their own development. And the time that you give them to evolve as a coach, you have to acknowledge that coaching relationships are not always unproblematic. And that you might spend some time disentangling the issues that emerge, and you have to acknowledge as well that any practice um, done at scale and done, yeah, done at scale and at speed can cause as much damage as it does um, cause hopefulness and the right thing. I mean, this is why it's a. This is why it surges and then it declines. We've been through this before. Yes. You know, we had in the late 90s, we had a growth of coaching in England. Teacher coaching wasn't on the scale it is now, probably because we didn't have the same commercial infrastructure as we do now and the same providers kind of working at scale as we do now. But there was a genuine flurry of coaching um, in FE and in schools around teaching and learning. Um, and what happened was, with the very best intentions, people started to adopt a coaching model. Um, sometimes they did it really well, and it was really powerful. And then, inevitably, the resource available started to decline. Now, it might have declined because there was less funding in schools, but that really wasn't the case in the 2000s, actually, in England. There was more funding in schools. But the expectations on schools and the expectations on teachers' time have continued to increase at the same time that the accountability measures have got much more fearsome. And so, what happens when you get a situation like that is that something which works well doesn't necessarily flourish in the way you want it to. It gets deployed where it is thought it's going to have the greatest impact. So, what tended to happen, in, and a lot of schools that I worked with, and I've heard it from a lot of other people, is that at first coaching was offered quite holistically, and then it became uh, more restricted to the situations where they thought there was a an urgent need to amend a teacher's practice to give a teacher a better chance of success, and sometimes even it was used on the route to a competency procedure and some way out for that teacher from the profession. So first of all, you started to reduce its impact across the piece because fewer people were being coached and secondly it got the name of this is only done when there's a crisis or a problem and i don't want to be part of that so it became a problem what's happening now i think and i do hear this and it's not i don't make this up i hear this from quite a few people on an, and i've heard it in the last few months in a surprising number of settings from people to whom i feel like a a moment of realization has come where they realize that the speed at which coaching, so called instructional coaching, is being rolled out in their schools is far outstripping the capacity of the schools to do it well. And what it's tending to do is create um, a whole new raft of systems, routines, and expectations that everybody's adopting, but without a sense of consent um, or without a, a sense of. This is really enriching my work. This is more just, I, I'm yet again ticking boxes for somebody else. And I keep hearing that. And that's just really sad. Because why would you want to do that to teachers? Yeah,
0: incredibly sad. And it's, it's sad because something, this thing can happen. It can start with such good intention, but then, yeah, be, be drilled down into, into its simplest form. And as you said, the coaching process is, is complex. You can't simplify simplified in the way that is maybe being promised in some places, and it was a really interesting history of that. I mean, to end, Rachel, you at Collective Ed actually do work with schools. You offer an award to enable schools to make coaching a strategic priority. Would you be able to maybe talk to a little bit about how that works and how if schools were wanting to to make it a a, strategic, a real strategic priority? what they could do with your organisation to help them.
1: Yeah, we have uh, the Collective Ed Award, which gives a framework for schools to understand their own practices and to focus on the areas of development over a period of time that they feel will have benefit in their setting. And it's not just a kind of a gut feeling of what will bring benefit, but an informed sense of what will bring benefit in their setting. So it's not just about coaching. It's also about mentoring um, and, and putting both of those in the wider context of professional learning. And I, and I do think it's important to remember it's professional learning is not the same as training. It's wider, it's broader, it's deeper. It throws up more dissonance. It, it requires more critical and creative thought than simply adopting something in a way that you've been trained to adopt it. So professional learning is always worth exploring because that's not always what people experience. What the award is based on is a set of key principles that are research evidenced. Um, And they are essentially principles that describe um, a holistic approach to professional learning and development across the workforce in any given organisation. And they allow the school to explore what they're doing well, but also what gaps they might have and to consider with the help of a coach, and we use the word coach in that context, probably not quite as accurately as we could do, to be fair, but with the help of a coach, to develop some strategic thinking about where their opportunities exist. So, for example, we do know that we have a workforce that in some schools is mostly characterised by churn. So, you know, in some schools, the retention issue is very real. The recruitment dilemma is very real. And there isn't always as much institutional memory as there might be, because there's quite a lot of workforce churn. Yes. Well, actually, to be fair, in some schools, that's not considered a concern. That's considered great. We've got this kind of these uh, this fresh meat, <laughs> these people that you know, uh, you know, they're they're enthusiastic, they're energetic, they're ready they're ready to be told how to do things. Off, off we go. We'll tell them how to do things. But that's probably not the best workforce strategy. But if that's the area that your school, if that's the thing that your school faces maybe because of where you're located, because of the policy contexts that are way outside of your control, then it might very well be that you really need to think about your mentoring infrastructure as as an aspect of your work that could make significant difference to the impact that the people you do have in your workforce can make to the learning and well-being of children, and also to the sense of professional collaboration and support that's offered within the school. So, if that's the area that you want to focus on, um, using some of the key principles that the framework, the award framework outlines, you can identify, you know, acknowledge what you're doing well, but also extend your thinking about mentoring into the areas that perhaps you've never even thought about before. And you can draw on that, that framework to help you. So, it, I haven't described this very well, but there are these, these core goals, if you like, or core elements of the framework That are all underpinned by research that you explore through the context of your own school. And as as an award holder, it means that you've demonstrated the level at which your practice aligns with a set of principles. And ideally, that you've demonstrated progress across the year, because you refer to that strategic thinking. So at the beginning of the year, where were you? Towards the end of the year, it doesn't have to be a school year. It doesn't have to map exactly onto a school year. But after about 12 months, what has changed? What progress have you made? What do you understand differently? And what, how can you evidence the impact of that? It is an award which takes a bit of doing. But ho- I think what we've discovered is, is that it's an award which allows schools in very different contexts to make sense of their own challenges and how to reconcile some of the evidence to make sense of how to meet those challenges in their own contexts.
0: Is that only open to British schools or is it open to international schools across the world?
1: It's international. So we have award holders in England, uh, Scotland, Australia, Europe. I think uh, we have a current award school on the island of Borneo. <laughs> so it's a, it's an entirely open framework. We have early year settings uh, through to FE colleges who are undertaking or have received the award tiny schools up to very big organizations so yes it's a very flexible award and i hate doing a sales pitch it's not really a sales pitch by the way it's just information <laughs> <laughs> well
0: it's it's useful it's useful to know because because you don't do so much ma- so much sales in your organization so people might not have come across this but i know international school leaders were listening will have their ears will have been pricking up when we were talking about teacher retention because that's a constant in many international schools is a turnover um, and a challenge for sustainable professional learning practices is one that I know is on top of mind a lot.
1: Yes, and I think that word sustainable is the word that we perhaps need to most grapple with in education. Mm. We think about innovation and we think about uh, change and development and we probably don't think about how we create a sustainable workforce, a sustainable system that doesn't constantly undermine itself and compromise the outcomes that we're looking for.
0: This discussion has really opened my mind to the relationships between coaching and professional development in our school. I really liked how Rachel emphasised the importance of that inside out approach to coaching, starting with the teacher's needs and context but also the pitfalls of implementing coaching at scale without proper preparation and support and also the potential negative impact of rushing the process. I think opportunities like the Collective Ed Award are great ways for schools to reflect on their coaching, mentoring and professional learning practices. And I'll include links in the show notes for you to learn more if you wanna find out. Global Ed Leaders is hosted and produced by me, Shane Leaning with original music by Guillerme Silva. If you like this show, it would mean the world if you could write a review on the podcast platform you're listening to right now. So go there and write me a review. It will mean the world and it actually makes a difference to people tuning into this show. I'll be sure to check it out and give a shout out on the show. And if you are online, reach out and share your journey on X. My handle is at Shane, or on LinkedIn. You can find the links using the show notes. But as always, if we don't speak before, I'll see you here next week. Hey, it's me again. I just wanted to jump in at the end to tell you about something exciting that I'm kind of experimenting with at the minute. So at the heart of this podcast is the community. That's you, international school leaders across the world. And I appreciate that a podcast can sometimes feel a little bit one way, right? It's me talking to you or me talking to our special guest and you listening in. And that's great. But what I really love is to get your input and hear from you about your experience, about the reality in international schools where you are. So I've started a new weekly live space. This is hosted on x.com. You can find it by going to my profile on X, search my name at Lean Shane. It's the top post for now, a link to the community space where you can join every week on a Thursday, where I just go live. Maybe I'm on my own. Maybe there's a couple of people joining me. I get a new co host every week, and we chat about what we reflected on on the most recent podcast or just generally. What's happening in your school? What leadership challenges are you facing? And can we come up with some shared solutions together? So if this sounds something that would interest you, a live space for you to collaborate, communicate where your voice is heard, then I would love you to come along. Go to my profile. I'll also do a link in the show notes. If you don't have an X account, no worries. You can still use that link and listen in. You just won't be able to contribute unless you're actually logged into X. I really encourage you to get involved in this super cool community event. So I'll see you there.